And um, you know, on the other hand, um, teams in Berlin, of which I'm uh, one of, and many other cities um, um, who have to uh, deal with uh, people that um, arrive in more and more traumatized states, because obviously the longer you are part of atrocities of war and violence, the more that will no doubt affect you. Um, but even in the first weeks, when um, yeah, we, we kind of um, were quite overwhelmed with um, suddenly hundreds of people um, standing in front of our offices, um, it was quite icy in the night. Um, people were talking about uh, people that froze, simply froze to death from the cold. Um, um, we, we had um, to call in doctors um, in order to treat frost um, by injuries and um, uh, ribs that were injured because people had to literally fight um, in order to make it onto a train or, or things like that. Um, so we had quite a few um, um, yeah, horrific injuries that we saw even in the first week. And as time goes on, um, predictions are that at this moment, the only sort of halfway of people that will still come because there's unfortunately not no end in sight with respect to uh, this uh, war uh, situation. Um, yeah, can you go to the next slide? Uh, um, yes, this uh, name of ours um, uh, was um, improvised um, one of the first evenings of trying to plan and register our digital platform in order to secure data. Why is it necessary to secure data? Um, I think um, uh, you gave an example of data being collected and misappropriated um, to financially uh, in other ways exploit um, people um, who, you know, tr trustingly given data in Google Sheets, um, all of which is actually not legal <laughs> in terms of German data protection. Um, so from the beginning, we found it really important to um, um, make sure that we did um, follow up good on the people that we took on um, in our care, um, but to do that in a responsible way. And it doesn't only go for um, the people that are involved um, in, on the sort of receiving end of uh, support also goes for those who uh, risk um, have years of prison in a, in a different political climate um, crossing borders um, with people isn't um, a business which is um, tolerated in the law um, and whilst at this moment there are many that do, do that out of humanitarian act one never knows how the political winds weigh, and, and in that sense, it's very important to take care of um, safety measurement to not put people unnecessarily at risk and uh, help people to stick to the law. Um, so, um, like the sort of life threatening situations and conditions that people are, um, because the example I mentioned earlier, uh, I, I mentioned earlier in relation to abortion pill, there are not legal, for example, in uh, Poland, um, and obviously crossing Poland with this kind of transport uh, uh, is a risky uh, 
venture. Um, so, um, yeah, that sort of mirrors the kind of uh, difficulty that people um, around Harriet Tubman, who was born um, in, the, in, in the US, um, enslaved, and who was managed, managed to free herself and then go back and free hundreds of other, other uh, people, her own family, but also many, many other people. The Underground Railroad was called. Um, and of course, once people have reached freedom, uh, they too had to find housing and work and a way to eat. Um, and so so uh, rescuing people <laughs> is, is one, one thing, but then um, how to take care of people um, is, an, is a complete other story. And I have to admit that by living that, um, I'm far more conscious um, of how much work yeah, um, and responsibility um, Harriet Tubman uh, uh, carried um, up to, to um, old age and, and, and death in this kind of community building and, and helping people to develop um, perspectives for their, for their sort of new lives. So this is, uh, uh, in that sense, been a very uh, um, uh, great honor to, to kind of call on this Black women uh, ancestor that um, that um, yeah also uh, gives us the chance to tell her story uh, and um, uh, yeah a <coughs> couple of months later um, we've um, been in the position to house about thousand eight hundred people um, in Berlin and uh, many more in other uh, cities. Um, unfortunately, I don't yet have exact data because um, yet it's, it's, um, we're still busy in training people to use the platform effect efficiently. Um, so there is still a lot of work ahead in order to uh, make this incredible network of black organizations, businesses, individuals really visible um, um, because on, and there isn't really much time to uh, spend on strategic work in the face of people arriving daily um, and the, the, the needs are quite immediate. Um, so um, can you go to the next slide, please? Um, yeah, this is a, a short um, visual, visual um, impression um, of various uh, situations. Um, you see, in the first one, uh, top um, um, a sort of um, arrival room, you see somebody exhausted and needing to sleep and rest um, in between people that are waiting for accommodation. And that is a room that is full, filled every day. And the reality of not being able to find um, accommodation on that very day that people ask it is that um, they will retire on the floor of the office um, with a sleeping bag and um, um, yeah on the on the ground of this um, of this very room that you that you sort of see um, um, we do our best to um, cook um, for about 200 people each day in order to accommodate um, sort of basic needs um, we also have about 150 uh, 
um, students um, daily that are learning the German language because it's important if you, uh, for example, want to study medicine in Germany, we don't have um, medical study in English, so to learn German is an absolute necessity for those um, wishing to build up the future of working um, in the medical system. Um, and you need a C1, uh, which means um, that you have to go through several models of, of studying hard in order to uh, reach your goal before uh, applying next year, March. Uh, not everybody has the capacity of getting a place on a German course because there's simply not enough courses. Um, and we are continuously trying to expand uh, finding rooms, finding more teachers, finding money to pay for examinations, because um, people of African or the Drittstaatler who do, do not have a permanent residency in Ukraine um, and um, don't have a um, passport or family members who are, um, they have absolutely no um, rights to get uh, language studies paid. So the only way is to um, um, yeah liaise with organizations like us, and we do our best to sponsor as many people as we can. Um, <coughs> you also see um, a short glimpse of um, our latest project. Um, we call it the Tubman Hall, formerly known as the Adlerhalle. Um, that's a, a place that we are hoping to move to because the other place is too small and we are only temporary guests. Um, it's a huge venture because um, it has no sanitation, very limited water. Um, I'm told when it rains, it leaks on a few places and it's not at all a very welcoming place, um, but um, it is actually the only place um, big enough to uh, house our operation that we've been able to secure. We're still fighting for longer term uh, contracts as do many other organizations and projects um, throughout Germany. Um, and there are our, um, architects um, who have been working on um, some plans to make this place accessible and, um, and um, yeah, I would say in a creative place even really cool and nice. So I do sincerely hope that we um, we'll find the support to pull this venture, venture um, to success. Um, and you also see um, um, sort of shots from uh, team meetings. Um, here we have a, a delegation from um, all the way from South Korea that um, supported our work um, and he came to visit us with uh, um, some monks that also went on to Poland and, and uh, it was quite an honor to receive such, such special guests. Um, and um, uh, yeah, you see the sort of African games being played um, to kind of pass time whilst waiting for accommodation. And the social gatherings uh, that are happening also to uh, support people's mental health. Um, can we go to the next slide? No, the other way. <laughs> Did I? Mm -hmm. The other way? Yeah. Back? No, on oh, this side is double. Go on, go on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, now here you see more of the 
um, last Saturday of the month, um, where um, yeah, all the, uh, many different organizations um, contribute to um, those social gatherings. Um, and um, for example, the initiative of um, black parents of black children um, for whom uh, this uh, crisis isn't just a crisis, but also an, a great opportunity of um, role models um, for children that are uh, equally affected by daily racism as the community itself. Um, and to use the words of this um, monk that I just mentioned, um, he said that, you know, we're in a way all suffering and, and have a difficult time, but being together and going through this experience together um, somehow makes it um, so that we, we uh, at least attempt to survive this together. And um, it's also why uh, it is very, very important to keep on building this community. Um, and at the same time, um, this kind of togetherness um, stands in big contrast to the sort of lack of uh, presence, formal presence, presence um, of um, German, uh, of the sort of white establishment, if I may call it that, um, the official um, uh, agencies who have not uh, financially contributed, who have not um, contributed by providing safe and good spaces, who um, treat people in the way you've seen in the beginning video, um, and, and to who you know daily um, makes people's life difficulty and have created this sort of yeah I should call it two caste systems of white Ukrainians um, um, being welcomed by uh, white institutions or institutions that present themselves as white um, and um, um, uh, hosting hosted by white Germans um, and. Um, that's so on the formal level um, of, for example, events that are being held by even the city of Berlin, um, um, but that's happening all across the country. Um, and um, on also um, that's happening on a sort of individual level when a host calls us and says, um, uh, sorry, but can you please pick up this family with a baby because I've never signed up to host black Nigerians. I only happen to offer my house to white Ukrainians. Um, and so you go and you pick up a four-year-old, um, a, a baby and a four-year-old um, and a, a woman because it didn't fit the kind of image that's being portrayed. Um, that's kind of, you know, deeply um, uh, painful on a sort of personal level to be rejected like that just because you didn't fit that prescribed image. Um, but also, um, we see that at an organizational level. So for example, uh, a building society that calls and says, we've got six apartments, which we are happy to provide for so long. And you kind of go into negotiations. And um, we're almost there. Everything is prepared for signing. And at the last stage, um, they pull out because they've then done their research of the sort of organization we are. And they said that, um, sorry, but we cannot make this housing available to uh, people of color. And we only do that to 
give this housing to organizations that um, do this with uh, white um, uh, Ukrainians. Um, and that is being exacerbated by uh, a government that pays um, white uh, hosts for hosting white Ukrainians. It's not being said white Ukrainians, but um, that's how it turns out in reality at the moment where people arrive, for example, at an official um, uh, place for registration and there's no mention of any documents, there is just the kind of uh, crude sentence, um, sorry, but we do not serve blacks um, here and they are actually sent to our organization, um, which I'm always speechless hearing these stories um, because I, yeah, kind of rolled into this responsibility um, um, and yeah, there, there, we kind of go from being exhausted to being enraged that we have um, uh, official, uh, official um, services that uh, on one hand um, the first two, three weeks wasn't present at all because they took ages to respond in the first place and now we're still in this uh, situation that uh, that um, uh, you know even those official sources point to us without actually giving us the respect or the the financial means to do our work. So uh, recording racist incidents, which is a kind of daily occurrence, um, with very very severe counts. Um, um, yeah. Um, I uh, had a meeting two weeks ago with the Staatssekretaris for uh, racial discrimination and she said, and I asked her, so, you know, what are you planning on doing about this because it's gradually getting worse and I've been four times in the train and each train that I've traveled, um, not towards Ukraine, just to the Netherlands to see my kids. Um, I've witnessed this racial profiling and often it affected people that weren't even from Ukraine. They were just black, but because the target is on black people, then, you know, the police harasses somebody that's already living 12 years in, in <coughs> Germany and, and her talks about everything that they can read on this file so that the whole train can hear it. Data protection, <laughs> who cares? Um, uh, so I've, I'm, I'm witnessing this and I'm asking the Staatssekretär, so what's happening? And she said, well, actually there's all this anecdotal stories, but we don't have evidence and without evidence we can't do anything. And I mean, this is almost ridiculous because we have mountains of evidence um, and um, you know, then there is again this sort of moral dilemma um, that people that are affected by racism and are in somewhat re-traumatized by listening and recording these stories, then should, out of their own resources and with their own time, do the work that the government has a responsibility to do. So we are a long way from uh, living the laws we agreed by, the human rights, um, in, uh, in Europe, um, and um, in that sense, I'm grateful to be addressing you here um, in, and um, responding to international uh, interests 
um, um, in this subject because it is really extremely difficult in Germany to um, um, yeah, raise these topics within uh, mainstream uh, media. So it's, it's mostly yeah, independent filmmakers um, and people affected by these um, that are um, uh, documenting what's going on. Um, and the sort of larger story is, is completely missing. Can we go to the next slide? Um, yeah, um, this is just one of those uh, graphics being designed to convince people to uh, become hosts with the Tubman network and the support that we give um, uh, via our platform. So we can uh, carry on to the next one uh, and in English. And um, yeah, this is a, <coughs> um, a slide from the sort of early uh, network uh, meetings um, where um, food is being shared in a traditional way. I think this is a Gambian uh, dish that we ate on that day. Um, very important for um, um, yes, um, community mental health interventions. A lot of people uh, coming from this and other wars um, and who are affected by racist incidents suffer from post-traumatic stress um, and um, that comes with very disturbing flashbacks and it's very important to, to uh, um, stay active and um, be connected. Um, so this is also one of the things that we promote quite happily and we are very happy um, there's an extreme shortage of black therapists um, and it really for most black people doesn't make sense to go to a white therapist where potentially this sort of um, uh, bias uh, uh, can reoccur and there is a sort of re-traumatization going on so um, it is not possible within the German uh, networks on, on the sort of therapy side, but also on the legal advice uh, side to, to cover that within the national um, capacity, because actually there were already um, too limited um, in respect of housing therapists um, and racism is British and legal support, because there's just simply not enough um, resources um, available. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in our conversation that uh, the Refugee Law Clinic had estimated that the 200 qualified um, lawyers in, in the area of migration who were already fully booked and in charge about 1,500 per person um, can by no means uh, uh, provide the kind of legal advice to 100,000 in need, um, the estimation is that we are we'll be busy for the next 10 years trying to uh, uh, give people what they, by law, entitled to. Um, and so this only means that um, we can only do this in a way that we are innovative, finding new ways to um, streamline the process and, and, and um, yeah, this combination of people self-organizing and um, also lobbying to more and more networks um, being involved um, and working collaboratively. There's this kind of 
how we've got as far as we have. Um, yeah, next one. Yeah, this is uh, basically <coughs> um, all the things that you can do to help uh, this situation. Um, people ask us, um, uh, yeah, number one, of course, is to campaign for equal rights um, and to uh, uh, make sure that um, those human rights um, that are being broken, um, I heard also here in uh, Norway, um, oh no, you were talking about Munich earlier, huh? that, that, is, that it was about um, people being refused emergency medical care um, because of a lack of uh, health insurance. That's completely against all international agreements and that is something that not only Germans should challenge, but also the international community should come together to our aid in order to say this is just not done um, in Europe. Um, and the legal situation is so that um, end of August, the sort of temporary title of being legal um, in, in Germany, which in some areas people are told that they're not legal, but that's incorrect information. Um, people are already being served with deportation letters, uh, forced into asylum situations without explaining that. So there's, there's a huge list of violations of the current laws, but at the end of August, the situation can uh, potentially escalate even more because then this regulation uh, presumably ends where people are able to just be uh, within Germany without having a particular title as long as they can prove they are from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, there are many activists um, and organizations working on changing this and there is some rumors that um, there will be a sort of an interim situation till the end of the year, but nothing of that is really confirmed. So at this moment, we're still in a situation where uh, come August, um, if there hasn't been uh, different uh, laws passed, uh, would mean that um, all the Drittstaatler uh, uh, find themselves in the position of being deported or um, um, going into a state of illegality. And once you're illegal, it's also very, very difficult to fix that status with a student or work visa. And there are also quite complex issues around student and work visa because currently um, uh, a student visa requires that you have approval of 11,000 in a bank account um, 900 a month in order to support yourself. So if you do not have that proof uh, in advance, um, that means that your visa application will be rejected. Um, and that's also the tricky part with some who have registered and received maybe 180 or 300 euros financial support. That small amount can be the reason that your student visa is being rejected because it's proof of the fact that you couldn't support yourself. So it's a really unethical way of um, offering people sort of a small thing in a very desperate situation if you could argue they were entitled out of human rights laws anyway, um, and then using that against them and not even telling them in advance that this is the situation. 
um, which I believe makes it a very unethical thing that's going on in, on a big scale. Um, um, and but up to now, all the officials in charge that are personally questioned and my organization has questioned have confirmed that the current situation is very, very strict, that if you cannot uh, support yourself with um, a minimum of 11,000 um, per year, that means your application will be rejected. And in terms of work, it isn't just any kind of work, because a lot of people think, oh, I just have to find any kind of job. No, uh, the yearly uh, amount for that is, I believe, um, 48,000. So you, um, uh, 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 48,000 euros uh, means that's a high top uh, position, um, given that most do not yet speak German. Um, uh, it's only a very creme de la creme of very privileged, um, already qualified individuals that have a chance of um, securing that by August. Hmm. <clears throat> so a lot has to be done in that respect. Um, finance, um, as I told you, there is no uh, government uh, support um, for the partner network um, as we speak. Um, um, so all of our finances um, has been through uh, donations from um, both organizations as, and, and individuals. Um, and without those donations, um, we wouldn't have any food to offer and we wouldn't have been able to spend uh, more than 50, 60,000 on the accommodation solutions that we found up to now. Um, uh, and we do see that there is more and more resources needed because um, housing from within a community that's already got a lot of housing issues um, also means that more and more hosts come and say, we'd love to take I had one, two, three, four people, but I simply can't afford to feed them all or pay the energy bills. Um, because if I register them, you know, all the costs for that person also goes up. So if you don't have the chance to supplement that, then there is simply um, the consequence that those um, hosts cannot uh, offer this support long term. So donations in that respect are crucial. Um, and to um, campaign for that is, is something that I hope you will uh, support us um, in doing. Um, what else is there? Yes, of course, food, <coughs> um, work, practicums. Uh, one of the ways that um, you can, uh, uh, I believe also in Norway, um, but I'm not entirely sure of um, the laws here, but I believe that there is um, uh, one or two year visas that people can uh, get by the way of being uh, employed as a volunteer, um, um, at volunteering positions um, within the NGO sectors. Um, uh, so it's like practicums or uh, this kind of international um, volunteering uh, opportunities. Um, so also within your NGO sector, you could consider creating positions for people that then also help to uh, make your organizations more inclusive and, uh, and better, and, and, and do so helping people to learn languages and, and bridge this gap 
until they can, you know, perhaps speak the language and have other ways of securing scholarships, etc. I know it's all mostly only um, a handful of people that can be helped in that, but you know, for us, it's like every person that gets another chance um, um, in um, yeah, furthering their experience, but at the same time also having access to housing and food is um, uh, one, one less mouth to feed, if you want to say it like that. And I do believe that um, the, the, the potential that we have in terms of the type of people that, that, um, that are there, I mean, I, I found it really an extraordinary um, uh, task. I can tell that most of the um, key positions in our organizations are filled with people from Ukraine who felt that they've received support to get as far as they have and now are um, spending their time doing this. Um, one example, our, our housing coordinator, one of the people that I've, I've personally uh, think that um, the kind of vision of not being biased uh, because so-and-so comes from the country he or she comes from, no, but purely looking at um, the people who are most needy need accommodation first and need that stability um, and, and, you know, sort of very fairly and justly working on that. Um, is a young medical student and he still studies online in the daytime uh, and has taken exams and in 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock he comes and he works till midnight. And then the next morning he goes back to his uh, medical study. And um, I was quite surprised to hear that in his last um, uh, examination he, he was top of the class. So I can only but commend people like that where I think you know they are an asset to every organization. Um, and uh, certainly um, um, Germany needs that, that kind of commitment and, and stamina from uh, uh, in medical prof professions, we have a profound lack of medical staff, and the same goes for IT and, and many other areas. And so, <clears throat> I find it really important that we recognize the potential that that we have in the in, in the um, yeah people that are, that um, uh, have arrived. Um, can we uh, <coughs> go to the next? Yeah, yeah? Okay. I think I'm almost finished. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, nice to say, I mean, I'm talking a lot now about adults, um, their families, their children. Um, it's very, very uh, important to support families and children in these horrendous circumstances. Um, babies that are being born in hospitals that are being bombed, or babies that are being born on the journey, or babies that just born on arrival. Um, they, they, that asks a lot of um, extra support and care. And we have a, a, a yeah, very dedicated um, team that takes care of uh, children and families and, and supports in that respect. Um, yeah, can we go? Yeah. Visual impression um, of the 
the work and the hall that I mentioned. Um, this is our architect that has been drawing out the plans. Yeah, I think maybe I've talked enough in monologue and it's maybe time to uh, join the dialogue and also to answer any kind of questions that you may have. Um, thank you for a really great presentation. Um, and thank you for all the work you do. Uh, Mona, uh, I'm not going to introduce you, introduce yourself to you. Okay. Hello, uh, I'm Mona. I'm uh, originally from Germany. Uh, been here for a bit more than six years, educated uh, social and cultural psychologist. Um, I'm completing my second master's degree in social anthropology now, writing about the Norwegian integration system for refugees and have been quite active yeah, in the student activism environment here. And then also now when uh, the war in Ukraine break up, broke out, I've been quite involved in a civic initiative in Munich, my hometown. Uh, that's also how I ended up in Amman, um, or the Tabla network rather. I've been, it's been yeah, interesting because I've been mainly coordinating remote, which was also yeah, an absurd experience because I would wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning and have all those messages of people that were on the boat and then I would coordinate all day and then go to sleep. And then, you know, so I was like, I was here, but at the same <coughs> time, it was like forming a bridge and also seeing the power that lies in organizing. I think about Telegram, I don't know how all of this sort of works out. Um, yeah, and um, so as all of you know, Norway hasn't been taking any of the people we have been talking about, we've seen the numbers, or Amal talked a bit about the numbers before, only the students, it's estimated that, yeah, I don't know, up to 30,000, I guess? No, uh, 2019, there were 80,000 foreign students yeah. in Ukraine, um, and the number has gone up, so I've heard numbers of, of 150,000, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure of the exact, exact figures. Yeah, but so a lot, that are, yeah, they're not being spoken about. It's been quite difficult to catch interest about that in Norway. And also, yeah, just the media being powerless in a way and doing the little that we can do to try to bear awareness. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and start with you now. Um, in our previous talk, you mentioned your frustrations with the failure uh, on an institutional or structural level. Could you please talk about that and kind of like compare and uh, also talk about how by not taking uh, in um, some of the students that have fled to uh, or out of Ukraine, um, that we are failing in our efforts to, you know, show humanitarian support to all of the people affected by the Ukrainian war. I mean, to start, um, because EU for the first time um, has now, in, I don't know, 60 years or something like this, they've used the temporary protection law, which was issued for all Ukrainians <coughs> that fled, which means that they are granted um, the right to asylum, the right to work, the right for social benefits without having to go through the asylum process. And this is on in the whole European Union. 
it has never been used I'm not sure if it has ever been used before. But the interesting thing was that the first proposal that the European Union uh, put out included everybody, including the third country citizens that we're talking about now. And last minute, they changed it. So you can see that there were political forces working, deliberately working against accommodating um, the students and faculty people that you can see. And then, yeah, what has been happening? We've seen some of the reports that people already were deliberately being prevented from leaving the borders in Ukraine, uh, like on the borders of Ukraine. They experienced um, extreme, yeah, in some cases, extreme violence on the on their journey. Um, and then it continued once they had arrived to the countries, which, as Amal has been saying, is bound also by the Human Rights Convention to provide humanitarian aid. And we have reports of um, civic organizations that have been rejecting and showing this card system that Amal said, where it's after the you know quote unquote refugee crisis in 2015-16, which already showed this very ugly side, we are now seeing it again, and um, it's being not spoken about in our circles. Of course, it's being addressed by ones who need to be on the activist circles. It's not even being mentioned in the media. There's just no interest. So, I mean, in a country like Germany and also which loves to present itself as, you know, the savior and the country which is providing a lot of humanitarian support outside. The fact that they are not even willing able to take in people which are affected by a war which had had to be their their home as well, although they may not have been born in the Ukraine and some of them were they they are going through exactly the same as Ukrainians now. The fact that none of our countries is willing to acknowledge this is just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, well, then, then, I think we're going to kind of like segue to what we spoke about yesterday, you and I, and uh, that would be that um, a lot of the arguments around not being able to provide, or not, well, the lack of willingness to provide help to third country citizens is that they have a country to go to, so they're not technically refugees by law. That is something that kept coming up and uh, you said that that's an argument that you've been facing as well. Um, so could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I, <coughs> I think it's uh, deeply ironic if one has uh, knowledge of the colonial history that made uh, the West what it is uh, today. Um, I did mention earlier this um, young uh, medical student um, um, and he told me about his grandmother and grandfather who uh, uh, had to um, engage in forced labor by the Germans um, and uh, lived in an area where the Germans had concentration camps and robbed artifacts and um, some of the bones of the ancestors are in museums in Berlin. Um, uh, some of the some of the, um, uh, a lot of the resources have been robbed. Um, and this is just one example between the relation of Cameroon and, um, and Germany, but um, I don't think I have to give the history lessons now that should be taught in our schools in order to understand that um, one has to look at this um, with an understanding of uh, uh, history um, that um, 
um, you know, I've had um, um, students from the Congo and the and Sierra Leone and many other countries. They said, "I go back happily to my country if I can take what was stolen from us." Um, and and these words uh, echo because um, it is it is a sort of complete denial of these historical events and the lack of repatriation um, uh, to say that that Germany or the rest <coughs> of the European uh, uh, Western nation has no responsibility whatsoever to the fact that um, those young people have to place their study and their future um, uh, in, in, in um, universities uh, that are not back home. Um, also, imagine uh, it was your child and you paid um, uh, with your community, you saved up um, um, in order to pay for a bachelor or a master's um, or a PhD, um, uh, you know, quite substantial amounts. And now uh, all of that money is down the drain. There's no way of getting a refund. And your transcripts are being held by Ukrainian um, universities because they don't really want to lose you as a um, paying client because it's a, a country with economic difficulties. They have to finance uh, their survival and, and part of their economy are those students. So you're sort of being tossed around this um, issues without your transcripts. What future do you have? You, you're gonna start from scratch um, with your secondary school certificates from back home? I mean, this is not a real scenario um, when you're also considering that people have lost uh, friends and relatives, um, people have, have been shot, um, people had to endure, endure all of what they have to endure and then, um, and then you know, they're being told um, you're not welcome and being treated in, in this um, awful ways. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, I'm just thinking about, uh, say, that a lot of students um, that have saved up money to be able to pay their tuition to study in Europe, that the hope of maybe going back to their country. And, uh, and, I, and I, I mean, I read a story uh, of a, one of the students that was being hosted in Munich a few months ago. Uh, that was also provided by activists or by initiatives that were working in Munich to, to provide shelter for um, for the students fleeing, ha having that having fled Ukraine. Uh, but there's also one thing that if we if some of the students can actually go back home because they risk uh, imprisonment, uh, they risk other types of extortion. Um, and there's also a group of people that we haven't really necessarily addressed properly, which is uh, people that have been living in Ukraine that are residents of Ukraine, not temporary students, people that were working there, for example, citizens that are people of color, that uh, some of them have refugee status there, uh, some of them have other types of visas. We haven't really spoken about them. What are they getting the same treatment as Ukrainians, or what? Yeah, so it's a twofold question. One of them being, what about the students that can't really go back? 
from Ukraine that have been in Ukraine that had refugee status or another type of visa? What, what about them? Um, yeah, so it's, it's very true that it's not just uh, students, but people who've been living regular lives, um, some of which are uh, you know, qualified and just got a job and working there sometimes for many years, um, but not necessarily have um, the, um, well, some have uh, um, permanent residence and others, others not. Um, and also family situation where one has that and the other one hasn't, um, but in the eyes of the German law, in terms of European law, all family members should be treated the same if there is someone with a Ukrainian passport or permanent residency, but the reality is that they, they are not. So they also find themselves in the same way discriminated just because their partner may be from Greece or India or some, some other um, uh, country that they were born in, regardless of if they're married or their kids are from Ukraine, which is uh, not the way the law spells out, but the reality is that we um, find ourselves needing to support those families because they have been rejected by the regular uh, places. There are also stories of, for example, babies that were born in Ukraine. There are by law Ukrainian citizens. Um, it's been very difficult for the families to get the papers that prove it. Actually, the Ukrainian embassies have been extremely problematic. Um, so people have not been getting the proof, although they, as you say, were long have the right. Um, there are others. You mentioned people that had refugee status in Ukraine officially. After the German law, they fall under the temporary protection, but what they have as far as on paper and what is being implemented or acted out, that those are two different stories. And then also there's this thing of, well, what is not the dangers that people face going back to their country and what the German authorities regard as a dangerous place to return back to are also two different things. And there's always, for example, there are people in, like, there are many people they tell us stories of how they cannot return back home because it is a zone of conflict or violence or they have been threatened personally. But because there are other zones in Nigeria which are considered as safe, the German law says that they have to go back because they can always move. So the authorities are doing everything they can to send you back unless you come from, a, from Sudan, for example, which is officially regarded as a war zone and your chance of actually going through that note is very slim. Yeah, so from um, okay. um Of, um, you know, whatever amount of migrants they stay in Germany, 
Network has just entered the collaboration with IPSO um, and they provided sort of three session online and also in presence uh, first um, uh, help um, in order to relieve the symptoms of um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress. Um, and some people find that very helpful to be able to just have some initial guidance on how to deal with um, the difficulties they are facing in order to find a way to sleep when people can't sleep, etc., etc. But there is also people that we had to bring to uh, psychiatric hospitals because they, you know, their, their mental state was um, uh, deteriorated um, with psychotic episodes that uh, community care wasn't possible anymore and um, much, much more intensive treatment was uh, needed. And between those sort of light interventions and sort of very heavy interventions, there's a big spectrum. And it's really in that spectrum where somebody might need six months to one year. There's huge, uh, yeah, one to three years of, of uh, support. And there is a huge um, gap uh, in terms of capacity. Um, um, and I do believe that sort of, um, yeah, networking on a global scale and um, helping to bridge gaps with, um, um, yeah, black professionals across the globe can um, help alleviate the situation, but it's also a question of needing time to organize the logistics and finding people that are prepared to have this kind of long-term breath about it, because it's you know, one thing that people sort of, at the beginning, very enthusiastic, you know, day and night shifts, um, we had beautiful shift plans, um, and um, yes, and then people say, well, you know, I have to now get back to my study, or I'm going on a holiday um, because it's Easter, and and you see more and more, uh, now also this summer holiday is coming, um, so the, the, the kind of capacity of volunteers in many projects go down, um, when actually um, people also get genuinely tired and, and overworked and need mental breaks because it's heavy work every day also people needing to unload these horrendous stories which does affect uh, people on a personal level um, <coughs> so so you have a capacity going down when actually this the people that are arriving late they need extra support so you have this kind of um, yeah, graphs that are sort of in opposite direction and that is concerning and this is also why now there's a lot more financial means needed to be able to provide consistency and long-term um, resources and commitment to this work because it isn't something that's gonna stop in the next years um, and, and, and you know, in that sense, um, <coughs> you know, the strong and privileged, they come first. And the ones that are most broken by this war, they come last. And um, you 
the, the question in many organizations is who is going to have the energy to, to, to be there for them. Um, so this is also why you know, we have to now make time to come out here and, 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 and engage more strategically in order to raise the awareness that um, yeah, the commitment should increase and not decrease. Many, many things that can be done. I mentioned um, teaching uh, um, yeah, a more balanced um, account of history in school uh, with regards to colonial um, histories and the impacts uh, to today is, is perhaps one uh, step um, in order to understand um, the responsibility. Um, another one is um, cannot um, address structural racism in our institutions um, and on a personal level without um, ensuring that the organizations are actually representing the people they serve. Uh, and I believe also here in Norway there is a lot of work to be done in that area um, um, because you cannot just be um, talking um, uh, yeah, about other people who don't do it good enough if, you, if you're not also analyzing this um, kind of um, yeah, racial, structural uh, inequalities within your own uh, organization, institution, schools, etc., etc. 
So <clears throat> I think that it's a process of learning from one another. Um, it's a process of um, recognizing white privileges and really um, investing into um, helping black communities to uh, empower um, themselves and each and, and one another in order to do this work collectively because it cannot be done by anyone alone. Um, uh, and to, yeah, in that sense, to work uh, in solid solidarity uh, within your own um, structures, but also in the international structures and agreements. Um, um, I, I uh, believe that every European uh, country can raise its voice uh, towards equal rights for all, um, because we have uh, quite a number of beautiful European legislations, um, but I don't yet um, see them involved into the reality, so plenty to do. Just if I can follow up uh, on that one. Um, so on a more immediate level, uh, and how very specifically the students and other BIPOCs have been doing, what is it that we can do from this part of Europe? Um, well, you know, you can support um, fundraising action, you can do what you've been doing, a lot of remote organizing. Um, uh, you know, there are there is uh, plenty of areas that need developing, which can be done from anywhere in the world. Um, you know, what you're now also doing is um, helping to um, increase awareness and uh, involving media to draw attention, um, you know, to um, address the European Commission, um, um, and in that sense, uh, create petitions, um, but also to support the kind of black networks uh, within um, uh, Norway um, to to link up with with um, you know this global. Uh, networks um, in solidarity so that um, um, yeah we can raise the capacity um, to further this struggle. Scholarship schemes create um, internship uh, and practicas, um, yeah, employment opportunities. There are many 
many ways in which um, this work can be furthered. Thank you. That, those are very good answers. Thank you. Um, okay, so my next one is um, then about music, and um, I think I can say that I personally am extremely frustrated with the media all the time, um, and that's because there is well, <laughs> it's either not reported at all or it's reported badly. And to be more uh, clear, when I say reported badly, it means that when it comes to experiences, for example, there were um, there were stories of students that were posting videos and pictures of what was happening to them, and a lot of the um, media that wrote about it among the Bashir um, were saying things <coughs> like. Indians or Africans claim it's not claiming we're seeing the proof right in front of us. It's, as you say, it's proof, evidence. Um, and of course, how uh, the media talked about the war in general was also very problematic. And I just want to know what your reflections around how the media has handled the war, one, and two, um, the situation with Africans and other people of color who fled the war? Um, I think that um, essentially um, in Germany, and I presume that's not so different um, in Norway, um, the media, the universities, many of the sort of big institutions um, are still organizations uh, that in the black community are considered predominantly white. And I think um, I'm, I'm pleased to say that I've uh, <laughs> met quite a few of the um, brave journalists and um, uh, individuals within those kind of white fortresses that have fought their way um, into these systems and they try and make a difference. Um, African German uh, researchers at the university or um, yeah, black journalists and a few of the left um, uh, that are you know, trying to make a difference. But mainstream um, has been um, following this overall narrative that has been set out by the the government um, and sort of, you know, reiterating this cliche of um, the sort of good white <coughs> people like us that are suffering from war versus um, other people suffering from war, um, which is this sort of identification of themselves was they do not identify with with um, all the other people suffering from this and many other wars. Um, and this is also why I partially understand that you know there's also some um, people in the black community that said, why would I now suddenly feel responsible and get into action? There's always wars and there's always black people dying in these wars. Um, you know, what's all this fuss about? Um, 
Um, but I, I think going back to the film we saw at the beginning, um, that the way that um, daily racism is escalating at this um, uh, moment in time is, is um, in my opinion, quite severe and quite concerning. If all these counts of um, blatant institutional racism aren't called for responsibility, I, I dread to think uh, how my grandchildren will uh, experience the world um, in a couple of years. And in that sense, I do think it is for all of us to take action and not only for black communities who are most affected, because in the end of the day, you know, white supremacism or the notion of this uh, uh, cannot be uh, stopped without white people feeling responsibility for this cause and are in that sense also happy to uh, not only talk about it but also put their finances in action where they should be. instances of blatant uh, institutional racism and we weren't just the um, yeah, media hosts that we quicked the NFO here. Uh, they got the documents, they got interviews and then the final footage that showed on TV showed nothing of those interviews. It shows instead to show an account of racism at the Ukrainian-Polish border and then a nice story about a Syrian refugee that was helping Ukrainian refugees now reciprocating as a gratitude also seeing how there was basically zero interest in addressing, yes, the institutional aspect and also extent of it and feeling powerless and silenced because even with connections in the media, we didn't manage. There was just no interest in showing those stories. So I think what we also need to do even more is use the <coughs> that we have, use social media, be outspoken about it, also people that have a certain standing in social media influences speak out and raise awareness because that's the only way we can really go against this. Yeah. Um, follow up, please. Um, how did you like? Did you like the um, this issue that we're speaking about today um, was sufficiently uh, was addressed uh, sufficiently in our way?
going to ask next um, again at the systemic um, work that um, you have been doing, and I think you, you have also been doing some of that um, already. Um, we talked about it here, but not really much has happened. And I think, yeah, I'm not going to get to that. But um, the systemic work that you're doing, so you're lobbying, you're talking to politicians and so on and so forth, and you have, you also said that you have some allies. Um, so, one first, how's that going? And uh, after that, like, what is the, what is, how do you see the outlook in terms of, you know, for example, say, prolonging the visa and finding other solutions to accommodate um, people of color? Um, <coughs> well, <coughs> there are some rumors that they are uh, working on possible solutions. Um, <clears throat> at this moment, I have unfortunately no serious proof as to how these negotiations are going and whether this will be reality by August. We all hope, of course, that um, our work hasn't been uh, for nothing. We know that there is a um, team of lawyers busy um, being very clear that, um, um, you know, if these legislations aren't changed, um, there could be lawsuits on the basis of um, breach of, of human rights. Um, and I do believe that actions like that should be consequences for intolerable things. There should be a lot more of us working on that. Because you know, if you're um, looking at this, what you described with the media, you know, you have racism, but then you also have this collaborating body that is sort of withholding evidence. Um, and that should be challenged too. So I do think if we do not work on follow-up consequences, what good are all these laws um, protecting our freedom um, and our rights for equality? So it's, it's very crucial um, and, and a lot more work needs to be invested to um, look at um, challenging um, challenging that and, and um, working together with um, human rights activists and legal departments to, to really analyze how do we, you know, um, uh, change the situation, uh, whether that's name and shame or whether that's, um, um, you know, other forms of, of taking legal actions and, and yeah, just simply demonstrating that it's not okay what's going on. Um, and um, yes, we all hope that things are, and some of us are um, closer to, to these kind of negotiations in these various departments. Um, yeah, but there isn't any proof yet, and we're not sitting on the table when we should be part of um, thinking and working out the solutions, um, uh, and and yeah, that that's something that uh, in time I hope uh, will change. But um, there's no guarantee. And it could be that this rumor is is being put in the world in order to uh, um, keep us easy from not campaigning in a time where not everybody is on their summer holiday yet. And so August will tell whether we were successful in uh, our lobbies or um, 
whether we fail. moment to address uh, our audience so, um, in order to get into this kind of dialogue. I don't know if you have questions and um, if you're empowered to um, um, take action and what is it that you need from us in order to um, support your actions. Um, yes, yeah, it's important to, um, um, to yeah, create a dialogue um, in order to determine the next steps together. I don't think that any one of us can walk that path alone. Like I said, all this will show. Of course, we all fear that uh, they're not going to extend the temporary exception of visa, so people start getting deported. They already start doing that. Um, we hope.
everybody manages to hold on and not get completely burned out on the way. Because like Amal said, the work takes a toll and it's a marathon on the sprint at the beginning and we need the energy to continue. Um, thank you. Uh, th there have been um, a lot of, you know, a lot of activists in Ukraine and otherwise um, have said this is something that this is this particular incident is something that we can learn from about you know how to act in the future. Um, and I think most of them were referring to, of course, uh, the fact that the world was very quick to mobilize for the uh, what are considered the Ukrainian people, which you know for most people is basically white people, right? So my question to you is, what can we learn from this from this situation? Is there, uh, and now I'm talking about both good lessons and bad lessons that we can take away from this. Well, um, I'm doing um, community work for a long time, and um, I've never actually been privileged to work in such a big collaboration of black organizations across Germany and beyond. Um, so for me, that is sort of a part that I, I felt quite humbled by that solidarity that um, people that um, yeah often struggled, uh, you know, everybody in their own right with their AFL or with their family situation or with just, you know, all sorts of uh, difficulties. Um, um, I've mentioned earlier the initiative of black, um, uh, of, of parents of black children, which um, sort of daily horrendous stories of what happens in Kita schools and beyond. Uh, public lives of, that is sort of affecting children and suddenly um, this kind of outside influence that has really brought these sort of very disjointed initiatives together. Um, so yeah, in such an um, unheard act of solidarity and collectively we've been doing wonderful um, things um, and it's made us stronger. Um, there is still lots and lots of work to build capacity and to um, go more in depth in many, many areas. But the fact that, you know, there was this response and it's, it's um, you know, one of the strongest organizations still going and um, no end in sight. Um, and we are planning for the coming years. Um, yeah, it's, it's also a tremendous, um, feeling of privilege and gratitude that, um, yes, this was an outside incident that brought us together, um, but this was long overdue.
Thank you. I'm uh, Michael. Um, I have a couple of suggestions. Uh, I'm thinking if, if you have contact with someone who has some legal capacity, if it's possible for them to come together and deliver some cases to the, the Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. Um, that's one thought. And um, also I'm thinking about what you said about the court. Um, the Norwegian Union of Journalists, they have a, a, a newspaper for their own uh, people. So uh, if, if you or anyone else involved with that case could write an article for, for the journalist paper, because they, 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 uh, they are interested in self-criticism, so that could be something. Um, Yeah, um, and was the organization for asylum seekers. I was extremely disappointed with them because they didn't want to get involved when it came to the African refugees from Ukraine. NOAS is an organization uh, that works with uh, asylum seekers. Yeah, uh, they said that um, it was not the right priority now. Mm. <laughs> I was extremely <laughs> disappointed. I think that NOAS has changed a lot. Mm. And uh, I think they also need some, some work needs to be done to educate uh, NOAS internally. They need some more uh, knowledge. And, yeah, yeah, they need to raise awareness for, for those people who actually work with refugees and have competence and capacity to do something. Um, and the last thing, yeah, uh, the Norwegian Ministry of uh, Education, mm -hmm. they, uh, they said that they were going to provide education for the refugees from Ukraine. And also, also Oslo uh, Kommune, they said they were going to give um, housing to, uh, to refugees and both of them and other institutions well are uh, actively excluding the, the victims of all the Nazi background. Has anything been done to confront them? Uh, are, has there been taken any actions at all towards these institutions? And if not, is it, is, is it possible to, to do so? Ukrainian citizens and people from the war in Ukraine. And Ukrainian citizens in different states, Ukrainian citizens. 
to give one tip um, when you do so um, be mindful of the terminology in terms of stigmatizing talking about refugees um, people who fled the war, war rather than being labeled because uh, those people are a great many more things than um, people that fled the war and it's uh, <coughs> in that sense sometimes more helpful to talk about the African uh, educational <laughs> elite, because we're talking about um, highly intelligent, um, educated uh, people, and in the minds of people, the sort of image that they get when they hear refugee is people waiting 10 years, um, dying in, in you know, uncertainty um, of a system that doesn't give clarities and uh, people unable to uh, work because of uh, legislation, so this uh, imagery isn't particularly helpful to kind of enlist a mode of uh, coming into action. Um, and um, there was just something else which I picked up, but I lost my train of thought. Maybe I'll come back to you. You had a question. Before we do that, just to follow up, do you think um, somehow if people are labeled as refugees, it, it will somehow also affect the way people handle their parents? Uh, yes, of course, that has a lot to do with it. If someone is dressed, um, um, yeah, I, I, I believe that this sort of unconscious um, imagery that you conjure up um, always when you have this us and them makes it far more easier to dehumanize uh, then when you're talking about people with emotions and families and and loved ones uh, so so you know to look into the eyes and and um, implement a humane system is a completely different story than to do that um, when you've kind of um, brought in this language of distance um, and, and you don't really have to face people um, eye to eye Thank you. Hello, my name is Timobi. Thank you for this wonderful panel. Um, based on, I guess this is for both Mona and the W Network representative, based on um, current and future perceived donations and capacity, do you feel as if we'll be able to sustain the work that is happening in the Tabernacle in Berlin and in Munich where you were, Mona? Um, over the summer into August and maybe beyond when visa extensions end, for example. I'm asking because <coughs> we had um, 
You may have discussed this. We had a local fundraising campaign for black refugees coming out of Ukraine. And though the support was good, it was, to be very honest, underwhelming. And as such, I'm wondering if the situation is similar. The funding is maybe obviously non-existent from the government, but crowdfunding maybe also is a little bit underwhelming in Germany, perhaps. Um, that's why I'm asking, will you be able to sustain this beyond August into next year, if need be? I'm going to be rude and ask the second question. Mm -hmm. I read on my way here um, that the Tub Network had reported that black cis men specifically were having issues finding housing because hosts that were offering housing were reluctant to host them. Do we know anything about why this happens? Thank you. Uh, <coughs> yeah, it's a, a, a relevant and good questions, and I'm very happy to say that, yes, for sure, we will exist um, till uh, the end of the year and beyond, um, uh, not only because, um, well, not because it's so fantastic um, in, ra uh, in raising funds, although I'm, I'm proud to say that um, particularly at the beginning um, there were generous donations received that made possible what we've achieved so far. Um, not least um, the kind of countless of uh, working time and expertise um, that has been donated, so it's not only in, in cash, I think the biggest donation as such are uh, people's uh, human resources um, and um, and I'm glad to say that um, the Tubman Network, we have about a thousand people registered on our platform and, and if we were to capture the whole uh, potential, I think we're talking about four or five thousand um, so there is still some way to go and I have absolutely no expectation of that drying up and of the work ongoing, uh, whether that's student networks or parents of black children that I've mentioned, um, or um, 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 yeah, a network of uh, medical specialists or uh, collaborating uh, individuals in various universities. So these are, there is a lot of long-term planning being made. Um, and <coughs> at the moment where we have more um, sustainable structures to deal with the everyday, of course, like other organizations and networks, we have the means to participate in uh, the general fundraising and in that sense are absolutely determined to fight our way into the, into the systems in order to continue this process. Um, and also being mindful that um, looking at that from a long-term Global, um, and now I also remember the, 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 the word that I picked up earlier that I wanted to comment on was this sort of idea of minority. Um, let's face it, uh, black and people of color are a world majority. So frame us in this minority context is in some way always a sort of reiteration as if we are only a few and therefore our rights can be neglected by looking and focusing much more globally and um, also really looking at this international uh, structures, I think a completely different pictures emerges and Tubman um, is forging links not only um, in Europe. So there is a strong connection obviously in various, um, throughout the African continent and beyond uh, in the African diaspora and 
um, for example, I'm, um, um, I have already another a journey planned in Angola in order to support an initiative there, um, because I know that some of the needs cannot be met in Germany, and there will have to be many other places created. So I believe that uh, the work of, of Tubman in that sense is a, is a long-term uh, vision. Um, my colleague always says that um, there's all these wonderful people with their sort of secret ambitions, and we haven't had enough time to share all these plans. So there's a lot of parallel processes, and it's always amazing when we get together and see what each um, department has done and achieved. Um, but I, I enjoy this kind of level of improvisation and in some way also trusting um, that we are united by these <coughs> beautiful ancestors whose, whose mission is to, uh, has been to create um, sustainable life structures. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm talking about that in a global context, so not only within Europe. Um, your second question was cis men. <clears throat> yes. Um, yeah, that's to do with the kind of uh, racism and forms of racism um, uh, uh, that exist, um, I'd say, in Europe. Um, sure, the sort of example or the, the sort of stereotype of uh, a black man is the sort of most frightening <laughs> experience for some. Uh, it isn't for me because I do enjoy um, working with um, um, beautiful men of uh, mostly formidable characters. Um, um, but not in the eyes of, of um, many of the German, white German neighbors that we've uh, come across who were quite shocked when you suddenly have a um, hundred uh, men, some of which stand in the garden, um, having discussions. And um, I grew up in, in, in uh, Germany, um, and I remember growing up with the thing, oh, your voice is so loud. <laughs> it's a sort of <coughs> cultural stereotype, but it's also kind of the the reality I've come to, to find out being part of my, my uh, heritage, I'm Sudanese uh, heritage, and um, I remember uh, last year in a group of um, 20, 30 Sudanese women, even I thought, okay, I know where I got that voice. And, um, but I enjoy that, that um, liberation of just being yourself. Um, uh, I enjoy that, and, and um, for many people that's a sort of liberating act of um, um, yeah, living your identity and your heritage and, and the diversity of that. Um, but <coughs> in relation to this uh, stereotypical image of black men as um, <coughs> that are often being criminalized, <coughs> where people sort of hold their hand back because some black guy enters the bus, um, uh, where um, yeah, people have all these sort of weird, perverted fantasies um, in relation to the imagery that, that conjures up, and, and particularly when there is 
as they called large numbers of people. And to, 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 to um, <coughs> just clarify, um, yes, within the Tubman network, we are working with larger groups. Um, <coughs> and I find it amazing if you look at the fact that we, I think, came up, uh, across at least two, 3,000 uh, black men, there has been actually very few incidents of the sort that people fear. Um, um, so I know that you know, the reality is not the image. Um, and even when I'm standing, um, I did um, lose a piece of luggage and when I went to retrieve it, um, the lady at the counter took ages behind her computer trying to find my missing back report. Um, and then there was a whole queue of people talking about the fact that I would have, um, that it takes so long because uh, probably I've lost my whole family and clan and there's all this racist fantasy of me being representative of many. <clears throat> and there is a bit of irony in that I know that at this moment I was subjected to uh, quite vicious racism that I know as a child uh, racism that affects when you go and, uh, and look for an apartment. I remember being a young girl, I didn't actually have any family, um, but all this kind of, you couldn't possibly give the appoint, apartment with you because you come with your whole clan. And <coughs> perhaps, you know, that's also why um, now that in the Tubman network I <laughs> have a big, big family, and clan, and it actually feels quite good to be in that position of saying, um, yes, here we are, we have a right, there's more than... You can continue this conversation off stage, but I'm going to say thank you to everyone who joined uh, here physically and virtually. Uh, I wish you all a lovely evening, and um, those of you who are here, please, um, if you could take two minutes of your time to fill out the survey on